welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. So this morning I want to talk, we're looking at the book of Acts, and Andrew last week was talking about Saul's conversion to, to Paul, and we're going to look today at Acts, 90, Acts 14, so all of you Bible scholars will already know what's, what that's all about, um, but we're going to get there in a minute, but it's this whole thing of fear. You know, I just sometimes think, what would my life look like if I wasn't afraid? What would any of our lives look like if we just were not afraid? There was no fear there. Like, we didn't realize there was fear in our kids until, well, we knew there was, like, lots of fears, fear of spiders, fear of the dog, all those kind of things, but fear of traveling, we didn't know was there until post-lockdown, we were thinking, right, we haven't been on holiday apart from the caravan, which is fantastic. We're there at the minute in Annalong, had a wee weekend down there, wee bit windy, but lovely. Um, and so we said to the kids when lockdown was all over, why, why don't we just do something different? Let's, let's just go big. You know, we've always kind of gone to France. That's what we do all the time, as Ben says. That's all we've ever done. And so we were saying to them, you know what, what about America? We go to America. We know we've got family out there. We've got friends out there. What about South Africa? We've got friends out there. You know, let's, let's just do something different, jump on a plane. And oh my goodness. So Sophie, I think Andrew said this before. Sophie said, we're not going to America because you get kidnapped like where she's got that from but it's totally in her head don't go to America you get kidnapped and South Africa oh my mom goodness mommy there's spiders there's snakes like seriously you know there's lions I think they thought they were gonna you know attack her she got on the plane so there's all these fears came out all this like oh my god why would you do that to us mom and dad so we ended up going to France this year but we've kind of been working on them for ages getting people to talk to them you know we had the Americans over Tom Knight told them don't worry don't get kidnapped as soon as you get off the plane we've got South Africans and people from Africa in the church who are assuring them that the minute they step off the plane a big spider isn't going to come and get them so we've been working on it and we are actually going to South Africa in October so we're excited but it just made me think you know for all of us probably if I said to you today who'd like to go to Australia hands up who'd love to go to Australia here okay anybody not want to go because of all the things that would kill you yes uh-huh not, you just don't fancy the big plane journey. But there's lots of things, isn't there? If, if, we were suddenly, if we suddenly thought, you know, you can just travel anywhere, or somebody came home to you and said, look, we're going, where, we're going to go somewhere exciting, would there be a few places on your list where you'd think, I don't think so? I don't really fancy going there. Newton Arts. <laughs> Andrew. See, Andrew has this thing, okay, as most of you know, he's got, well, it's, there's a three, there's a, there's a trilogy of three things. He said he would never get a dog, okay, and we've had a dog for five years. He said we'd never get a caravan. We've had a caravan now for three years, and he said he'll never move to Newton Odds. Things come in threes, don't they? <laughs> Watch this space, because just one day, we'll wait and see. But I just thought, you know, there were so many things I know in my own life where there's fears and there's things that hold me back. But Jesus said, I came to give you life in all of its fullness. So he doesn't want you to get up in the mornings thinking, I'd love to do that. But you know what? I just couldn't. And you know what? I realize at times, you know, God is a big God and he didn't design us to live small. That's not the way he made us. We have a big God, but often either we've made him small or we've made him in us small because we forget how great he is. We're hidden in Christ. You know, we've died and we've been resurrected in Christ. So we aren't small. 
But sometimes our thinking is small. Sometimes the way we see life is small, but it's not the way we've been designed to be. And often it's small because it's fear that's holding us back, because we don't dare to venture out. And sometimes we want things to be different, don't we? We get bored of the same old, same old. But then we get, and we get frustrated at times when we say, well, they're off doing this and they're off doing that. And, I mean, I would coach people who get frustrated when there's people who used to work for them and now they're working for them. You know what I mean? So it's like they used to be, I'm manager and they used to be working on my team, but now they've like gone two levels up and I'm reporting to them. But it's because fears held them back because I haven't gone for those things, I haven't, because I haven't believed in the person who God's made them to be. And I just think, you know, okay, lots of people, some people have a lot of opportunities. Maybe some people are born into certain situations. But God says we've all got the same favor in our lives. We've all got that same measure of faith within us. So that potential that he's put within us, we can achieve it. And it's that thing of, are we choosing to believe everything that God has done for us? Are we really taking hold of it? Because I want to see more of God in my life. I don't believe that I'm stepping into all that God has for me. And like Andrew was saying last week, it's not about God doing more for us. He doesn't need to do any more for us. He's already done everything for us. But it's about us being fully convinced of all that he's done. It's about us stepping out in faith and believing his word to be true. And um, I keep going back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians because I think it's the best prayer we can pray for our lives because it is this opening of our eyes that the eyes of our heart would be opened. And I'm just going to read it because if there's anything, if there's any times you just think, God, I don't know what to pray. God, I, I know I want to see more of you in my life, but I don't want what to pray. Then I just say, keep praying this prayer until it becomes so real on the inside of you. Because Paul, when he prays to the Ephesians, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's what he wants. He wants us to know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. You know, I know that I like pretty immediate results. I like to see things happen pretty quickly. I think most of us do now, don't we? Kind of that instant society where we just want to see things happen. But I think we need to recognize that things do take time. Um, you know, when we think that we know somebody well, obviously, you know, Andrew and I have been married 26 years now. We had our wedding anniversary when we were on holiday. Um, and there's times when we think, you know, I can look at Andrew and think, I know what he's thinking. And times I'm right. Could be golf, could be rugby. Could be I've got to walk that dog. Could be all the stuff going on with work or whatever. But then there's times when he surprises me. And it's like, you know, when I think there's not a lot going on in there, because it's probably just going to be the golf. He's <laughs> <laughs> got that phase he's lost. And it's, you know, it's... And then suddenly there's all this stuff that's like, you know, things in his heart, things that he's concerned about, things that he's dreaming about. And I go, wow, you know, I didn't actually know that that was going on. 
this doesn't, it sounded better in my head than when it's coming out. But you know, there's times that we surprise each other, don't we? There's times that there's just so much more. You know, there's so much more of me that Andrew doesn't know. There's so much more of Andrew that I don't know. There's so much more of each one of us. And how much more with the Lord? How much more do we need or can we get to know him? And that's why it says that Paul keeps asking that you may know him better. Because it's not this thing of just spend a little bit of time. And it's not because we have to. It's because we get to. Because actually, as we do that, Jesus is revealing more and more of his heart for us, more and more of who he is. And it's that sense of, remember, Andrew said last week about Paul, he went for three years and he received revelation direct from the Lord. Three years of just downloading. And it wasn't that he did nothing in that time. He was ministering and he was growing. He was seeing God in action. But it was a sense of just being personally with the Lord. So it's that keep asking, you know, make it one of your pursuits in life to know God better. Not because you have to, not because you should, but because you get to. And life is going to be so much richer as you do that. Because Paul says he wants the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. And that's not something where it's just knowledge that we learn. Okay, that's our hearts coming alive. I want my heart to come more and more alive. And it's not something that I need to work up. We were talking about this in the prayer meeting. That actually, it's not that we have to try to be changed. But actually, when we just stop. This morning, as you worshipped, as you sang holy forever, as you lifted Jesus' name up, you were being changed to be more like him. As you were beholding him, and everything else just stops for a while, and life pauses, you were becoming more like Jesus his glory. We were in the presence of the Lord. That's how effortless it is. But there's times we need to stop. There's times we need to put away all the busyness, all the demands, like Adam was saying, and just rest and know that he's doing that work in us so that our hearts are becoming more and more alive. And I realized I've made some efforts over this last year and I'm blocked off a lot of things that can distract me, like if people say, oh, did you see it on Facebook? I, I just don't do Facebook anymore. I don't do Instagram, apart from if Ben goes, go and watch my reel, and then I watch it and come off again. But I've done lots of things. I don't watch the news, as you all know, so people need Andrew and need to tell me what's happening in the world. So I have this little life that's trying to block off a lot of things that could distract me. But then I can still fill that with busyness and stuff and not take that time to let my heart be enlightened. Because I want to know the hope to which he's called me. Isn't that beautiful? The hope. You've been called for hope. You have incredible greatness for us to experience of the Lord. And that's what he's called us for. We have been called. Not just Andrew's been called or Sarah's been called or Martian's been called. Each one of us has been called. And we've got incredible hope on the inside of us. We're not like the world. We've got a different starting place. We've already been saved. Okay? We've been redeemed. We've been changed forever. We've got an eternal hope. And we've, got, we've been given supernatural power to destroy the works of the enemy. We can see lives transformed by grace because Jesus can work through us. You know, this week, this summer, we were looking at the book of Acts and looking at the lives of the early church. And you know, I often, everyone loves Acts too, don't they? They all love, like, you know, they met together in the homes every day and they broke bread and there was never anybody in need and, you know, everyone shared all the belongings. Everybody loves quoting that, like, why can't we be like the early church? Why can't we be like the early church? It was just amazing. Nobody talks about the bit where Paul was stoned and Stephen was stoned, you know, and they had to flee and they ran from, you know, because there was incredible blessing of them being together and unified in spirit. 
but they came against opposition. And sometimes we want to pick and choose, don't we? Like the bits that we like, and then the things that aren't quite as, you know, appealing, we maybe want to gloss over. But actually, when we look at the life of Paul, there is something, what is his secret? What kept him going through the shipwrecks, through all that persecution, that he laid down his life for the people in front of him? Because I feel that in terms of fear, you could think, flip, all that stuff that came against Paul, was he not frightened? But it didn't hold him. Fear lost its hold. And when we read Acts 14, I think there's going to be a key where you see like that final bit of, if there was any fear in him, that it was completely gone. And actually the things that came against him only served to make him stronger. So I just want to, you know, I want to see us, I want to see for myself that confidence and that boldness from the early church. Because we've got to remind ourselves of where we've come from. You know, I think for Paul, he knew what he'd been saved from. He, he saw the person that he was. He saw the destruction that he was wreaking in people's lives. And then he saw, I have been given another chance. And I think for all of us, we need to know what have we been saved from? What would our lives look like today if we didn't know Jesus? We need to keep reminding ourselves, what would my life look like? I was thinking about this just before the service. And whenever I was in, like I'd, I'd become a Christian in my teens and then I kind of drifted off for a few years and was sort of doing my own thing and at university before I went off to France for a year I was studying French and music I'd like I was kind of going down this path of like you know studying French philosophers they're all completely wacky and and I was going to wanted to do like a PhD in in French literature and all this stuff and I'd signed up to do this course on like French feminism in the 1940s or something that oh my word and then I, then I go to France for a year and have real like encounters with Jesus and and met Andrew and all these different things happened and then I had to come back and sit through this class for a whole year around French feminism and I was like oh what did I do this is like but in a way it made me see like that's what this is what life I could have gone for and yet this the life of Jesus and I'm not putting down every French you know in case we get people writing in typing in but I just thought my life could have been so different. I could have gone down a completely different path, studying philosophy, doing, and yet Jesus came into my life, saved, well, not, he'd already saved me, but I, but I turned around and walked in a completely different direction, and here I am today telling people about the goodness of God. Where would you have been if Jesus hadn't stepped in? What would your life have looked like? Because Paul knew what he'd been saved from, and he also knew where he was going. He knew that he had an eternal hope. He knew that he had a future, a future not just on the earth telling people, but his eternity was safe. He was loved. He was protected. He'd been delivered. And he knew that God, that he was going to be in heaven, sick and holy forever. That's where he was going. That was his final destination. So he was convinced of what he'd been saved from, so much so that he wanted other people to know that. And he was convinced of where he was going ultimately, that nothing could come against him. And that's, you know, I think people probably looked at Paul's life and thought, wow, how, you know, what is it? You imagine today if people had seen he'd been shipwrecked and been stuck on an island and, you know, snakes coming at him, all the different things. You'd imagine that they'd have him touring circuits and, you know, have him giving talks on resilience. Like, how did you do it, Paul? How did you just dig in? How did, you know, when all these people came against you and you were stoned and whatever, everyone would be looking for the secret ingredient. You know, what is it about this man that makes him do what he can do? And, you know, it is that. 
It's that he knew what he'd been saved from and he knew what he was going towards, that he was walking towards his destiny in Jesus. So I want to read with you Acts 14. We're going to read the first part. We're going to take lots of bits from this chapter because I want, to, want you just to get a taste of this journey that Paul was on because it was a roller coaster. And I don't know about you, but quite often my life can feel a bit like a roller coaster. We're on the lay upward, you know, we're going up, and then sometimes we're going to be flying down again, and then it can be a wee bit bumpy, and then we can be up and down. But Paul, how did he just stick the course? So let's read Acts 14. It says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. So when we meet Paul in this part, you know, we can just, if you're just diving in today, we're meeting him in Iconium. And the first place he goes to preach the gospel is in the synagogue. And there's great multitudes of Jews and Greeks, and they believe what he says. And those are all the bits that we love, aren't they? Like, oh, it's amazing. Sometimes we can go, flip, it was easy for him. Just wherever he went, loads of people believed. But sometimes we need to go back and remind ourselves, like, well, where, where had he just been? He'd actually just been in Antioch. And do you know what had happened in Antioch? There he'd been preaching, he'd been sharing the word, and he'd been expelled from the synagogue. So he arrives in Iconium, and where's the first place that he goes to? He goes to the synagogue. Now, it made me think, often when we've had a bad experience, well, most of us, what's, what do we do when we've had a bad experience? We avoid it in future, don't we? We think, flip, that wasn't great, that didn't go well, not the way I thought it was going to go. I'll probably just avoid that in future. It was a bit like me this week with Ikea furniture. Ben was away in Ibiza. Let's not, <laughs> let's not even go there with what that one was like. But um, So we were going to get his room done up. And uh, I'd gone to Ikea, ordered the stuff, brought it back. and thought, it's actually easier to get this done when he is out of the way. But Andrew had Zooms all afternoon, and he's in his office is right next door to Ben's room. So I'm kind of thinking, assembling IKEA furniture, Andrew doing business calls next door, could be a bit noisy, could I do it really quietly? Also, is it wise to do it on my own, given the past experiences of, you know, when you like you put it all together and then you realize the top was on the bottom and the bottom was on the top and then the door doesn't fit. And we've had a few disasters, let's say. And uh, yeah, so I, so I thought it'd be really symptomatic, really systematic. He got all the screws out, <laughs> checked it with the instructions, had it all like lined up. Um, and it actually went really well until I needed Andrew for the last piece, and then it all went wrong, didn't it, on the last bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It actually went really, really well, but no, the, the two of us struggled to get the last piece to get, but, it, but, but, but we did it. But it's interesting, isn't it? Like, my first reaction was, well, flip penny. You've done this before. Doesn't always go well. Could be 150 quid down the drain. Let's just maybe just wait a bit. So how often with God do we, just, do we let past experiences dictate what we're going to do in the future? How often when we, we sometimes when we maybe 
We go confidently down one path. We think God's called us to do something and we get a bit of opposition. We get a bit of negative feedback. And then we start questioning, did I actually hear God right? Am I supposed to be doing this? Is God really for me with this? Or maybe I, maybe I got it wrong. And so often we can let that opposition stop us. You know, we see in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. So even though great multitudes believed, there was still this opposition going on. But what happened, you know, and that, that's going to happen, particularly if you're doing kingdom work, you're going to come into opposition because the enemy doesn't want you to be doing what you're doing. He doesn't want to see people getting saved. He doesn't want to see people being set free. So he's not just going to sit there. And the greater the calling on your life, the more opposition you're going to face. And we need to be ready for that. That's not to, to, to make you afraid. That's just to make you aware of his schemes. He's going to try and distract you. He's going to try and discourage you. He's going to try and put you off. And his attack's probably going to be personal. Remember, he poisoned their minds against the brothers. It's going to be lies. It's going to be confusion. It's going to be deceit. Okay? But if we're aware of that, then we can stand strong. Because look at Paul's reaction. It says, Paul stays there. He doesn't just think. I mean, there's three things that he does. He stays. He doesn't kind of go, right, okay, there's a little bit of hassle going on here. I'll maybe just wait till that dies down. He doesn't come back tomorrow. He stays. He stands firm. The second thing he does, it says he speaks boldly. So he doesn't just kind of just stay but maybe just do it a little bit more undercover, maybe just try and meet with people afterwards. He speaks probably even more boldly. The fact that they say he speaks boldly shows that maybe before he was just preaching, but now there's an even more greater authority, a greater boldness in what he was saying. He doesn't tone it down. And he continues to preach the gospel, the good news. He stays on message. He doesn't think maybe I should have just change tactic here. He continues. And you know what? There's times when, you know, if you've got a toddler and they're screaming, what's the best tactic? Anybody? Parents out there? <laughs> Ignore them. Absolutely. Ignore them. Have you seen those things where, you know, I've been that person in the supermarket where they're flinging their arms and they're going crazy and it's just like, oh, please, get to the till. I used to give Ben an apple when we were going shopping and that was, it was almost like those timers. You know, like a, you know, like a like timer, because you knew when the apple was done, your time was gone. So I'm like rushing around the supermarket, and he's like taking these. And Ben was always a hungry child. He's taking bites and bites out of her. And sometimes she could last with a bit of French bread, but that didn't seem to do the trick. And I tried not to do the sweetie thing. So it was like, if I was at the till, and I was on the last bite of the apple, I was like, it's all going to go. <laughs> it's all going to go pear-shaped in a minute. <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, the best tactic is to ignore the enemy. But so often we can get distracted, can't we? When the lies come, when the talk starts, when the opposition comes, we can let it affect us. But it says in First Peter, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes we think the devil's the lion, don't we? We think he's the lion, but he, he walks about like a roaring lion. There's only one lion, the lion of Judah. There's only one lion. Sometimes we're giving far too much attention to the enemy. And he's seeking whom he may devour. It's not that he can devour everyone, but there's some people who are forgetting who they are and they're allowing themselves to be attacked. So we've got to avoid the distractions, haven't we? We've got to avoid 
allow an offense to come in. We can't take the bait. And I want to say for you, who's the roaring lion today? You know, is it something that's going on in work? Is it your boss? Is it sometimes members of your family? Is it your mortgage payment? Is it a health situation? What things is the enemy coming against you with? Because we've got to stay focused on the truth of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives. So we see that, you know, the people were divided. They mistreat him and they're making plans to stone him. So next minute, Paul's away to Lystra and Derbe. And there he's continuing to preach the gospel. And I thought, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we have plans and we, things look a certain way. And then sometimes things don't go to our plans. Well, last week, Maureen had given me um, a word. And actually, Andrew, you should have heard it because you would have loved it. It was all about Penny, I see you with a notebook. And I said, oh, she knows me so well. <laughs> but she says, like, I feel like God's just telling you to write everything down. All the things that are in your head, get them down, write it out because he's given you plans for things. And I was like, you know, that is me. I have all these things that go around in my head. But what I've learned to do is to hold those things lightly because God is a God of order and he does put things in our hearts and he, and he does want us to make plans. But sometimes we hold on to the plans too much rather than holding on to the Lord. You get that? And I think we'll have to, it's good to have a plan. God wants us to have a plan, but with the plan, hold on to him. And sometimes the plan's going to change a bit. Anybody had plans change? Yeah. Life doesn't quite go the way we want it to. But that's because God wants us to journey with him. Because if he gave us everything, we'd, we'd just kind of get on with things ourselves, wouldn't we? We'd think we could do it on, in our own strength. And God wants that daily walk. So he wants us to have a plan and trust him. But sometimes it can get a bit messy too. Is that right? And it's not that God's messy and just can't get it together. It's just that our lives just get a bit messy as people. Nothing's perfect. But like Adam was saying before, we're not called to be perfect. We're just called to trust. And the Lord uses everything for good. Because Paul goes on, he moves to another place, and the gospel spread. And that might not have been Paul's plan. He might have wanted to stay in Iconium for a bit longer. But actually, as he's moved on, then more and more people are getting touched. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to grow in confidence, to go at times to be a bit more spontaneous. I know I need to be a bit more spontaneous, let go of the plan. At times to think ahead, but just to, just to hear his voice, know that it's a daily journey. So what happens next? Paul, next he's found in Lystra. And here he comes, he's confronted with a man who's lame. So I'm going to read the next part of the, ch of the chapter. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And that man jumped up and began to walk. And then when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd want to offer, sacrifice, offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
In the past, he let all nations go on their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy, even with these words. And they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Isn't this incredible? Paul goes somewhere else and a man is healed in front of everyone. And then all of a sudden they're going, oh my goodness, these, these, are, these are gods. And the reason why they, they have this huge reaction is because apparently there was um, this legend in the past when the gods had come down to this place and they hadn't recognized them. And then the gods had been angry and, and all these things. So there's this, there's this whole thing where the, the people are reacting so strongly because they think, oh, if these are gods, we better be nice to them and we'll do all these things and we'll sacrifice. And so this, this whole stuff's going on. But the thing that I, I mean, the amazing thing is signs and wonders are accompanying the gospel. Signs and wonders are pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to the truth of who he is. And we've been talking about what we want to do in the future with this church. And we do believe in signs and wonders. We don't think it was something that just happened all those years ago. We believe it's for today. And we've been talking about making that more obvious in this church and having more ministry time and a place and a time when people can come and receive prayer and having like healing rooms here because we want to see the gospel going out we want to see lives being changed we want people out there to know go to that church because somebody will or somebody will pray for you and people are going to be healed and you know sometimes it's hard to say those things because we've all had disappointments haven't we we've all had things in the past where things haven't worked but I was thinking this week, do you know if we don't have healing rooms, do you know how many people will, will be healed? No, that's right. We never look at it like that, do we? When we if we don't do things, well, we'll definitely be sure of the results. And I would think Lord's calling us up to believe again. Because when Paul went out and spoke the word, signs and wonders followed. That's the, li that's the life of the early church that we want to see, isn't it? And we've got to put ourselves back in those places. What I love about Paul's response here, the crowd are going crazy. And so for, he's gone from a place where they're wanting to stone him to this place where they think he's a god. The difference is, so he's gone from like, we hate you, we want to kill you, to we love you, we think you're god. All right? But Paul's reaction doesn't change. What I love about that is Paul isn't impressed by the crowd. He doesn't go, happy days, at least here they like me, I'm kind of popular, they're, you know, the, you know, the sacrificing things to me. He's actually like, whatever you think, it actually doesn't matter. And in fact, the last thing I want you to do is think that I'm a God. That's the last thing I want you to do. I want you to find God. I want to point you to God, but I don't want to take any credit. I don't put my trust in how you, how you respond to me. Because let's face it, as people, we're all pretty fickle, aren't we? One day we think things are amazing. Next day we think they're terrible. One day life's amazing. Next day, what am I doing here? Can we go up and down, don't we? And we can't let ourselves be swayed by other people either. People that we know well, people that we don't know as well, whatever. Crowds are never to be trusted. Paul only looks for God for approval. And Paul's response is to point people to Jesus. And Paul, you know how he relates to them? You know, the crowd, he's got all of this attention. He finds a bridge. I love this. He finds a bridge he looks for a way that he can say, well, this is what you guys believe. Let me point you to the living God. 
So he talks to me, he says about how, you know, the God that has done good, who gave you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling your hearts with gladness. Because these were the things that people had thought that Zeus did for them, that, that God that they'd been worshipping. So they were all worshipping Zeus and they were thinking, oh, Zeus sends the rain from heaven and he's given us these fruitful seasons. And God's now making the connection. You know that Zeus? Let me tell you about the true God. No, you were portion of him for these things. Well, let me point you now to the one who actually has shown you this kindness. And you know what I realize? God will give you wisdom about how to reach people. God, you know, these people, they were pagan worshipers. And people could have thought, they're never flipped. They're so obsessed with that Zeus. They're never going to turn to God. God was actually, do you know what? Paul, I'll show you how to speak at their level in a way that they'll understand and their hearts will turn to me. And it made me realize that God's going to give you that. He's going to give you the keys for the people in your life, people in your families, people who you work with. He's going to show you how to reach them because you will be able to do it. And there'll be a bridge. It's almost like there's going to be a key that you're gonna, or a bridge that you're going to walk over and help those people to see God for their hearts to be enlightened too, for the scales to fall off their eyes, just like for Paul, scales literally fell off his eyes. That's going to happen. But we want that spirit of wisdom and revelation, don't we? Like I talked about at the start, that's why we need that so much, so that we know God and we know his ways. It made me think, do you know how God, do you remember how God stepped into your world? For some of us, it's been recent. For some of us, it's been a long time ago. But how did he reach you? Who did he use and what did he use? Because I think we need to refresh ourselves again with who God used, with how he touched our hearts. And for us to remember again. Remember Paul knew how Jesus had stepped into his world and that almost ignited him to go forward. All of us need those refreshing moments to think, God, you stepped into my world. What was I like? Where am I now? Because everyone can be reached. Everyone can be reached. Everyone can be reached. Think about your worlds. Everyone can be reached. What are we speaking over them? What are we praying for? What are we picturing in our minds? What are we believing for? What is the bridge that you can walk across to bring that message to them? No matter what obstacles you might see, because God sees things from a different perspective. And most people are much closer than you think. Most people are much closer to God than we actually realize. Isn't it like if a plane's going down? I bet everybody's praying. (laughs) So most people, when the back's against the wall, they will reach out to God. So we look at the reaction to Paul's speech. One minute they think he's a God, and then again, this thing changes. If we look at the, the next part, it was that then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. It's like, for flip's sake, you can't get rid of these people. They come from Antioch to Iconium and they stir them up. Now they've come from these two places. And it sounds kind of, it's easy to read these things and forget. These places were a long, long way away. It wasn't like, oh, I just jumped on the glider into Belfast because, hey, there's a wee protest or there's a wee something going on. We're going to go and protest there. There's like hundreds of miles that have been traveled or another 50 miles to somewhere else. Or another. And remember, there was no glider. There are no trains, no cars. This is people who are determined People who are determined to stamp out that message. But the incredible thing is Paul was one of those people. Paul was one of those people who was doing those journeys, who was going to those places, who was trying to stamp out the gospel. And now he's on the receiving end of it. 
And I think that's what helped him to see if they could do it for me. If Jesus could step into my world, then he can step into their world too. And we need to go back and think, God, if you could step into my world when I wasn't thinking anything about you, when I was going to study French feminism and all that crazy stuff, and all of a sudden, you can turn it around and you can actually use me to share your goodness. He can do it with all of us and we've got to come back to those places. And then suddenly, so it says they stoned Paul. It's not like they're annoyed with him now. They actually get to do their murderous hate. That hatred is now coming out in action. They drag him out of the city thinking he's dead. They think they've finally, finally, finally dealt with him. He was really annoying them. They've got on this journey. They've chased him. And they finally think that they've, they've dealt with it. And the whole crowd is now against Paul. So they've gone from loving him to all joining in in this mob who are killing him. And this is incredible, isn't it? Because he hadn't fled this time, had he? You know, did he know that this is what they're trying to do? Or did he get caught off guard? Did the Holy Spirit not say, you need to get out of here? I actually think that Paul, and I don't know about this, but did he just kind of go, do you know what? Am I going to spend my life just fleeing? Or am I just going to stop and stand and not be afraid anymore? And no matter what intimidation or what they're going to try and throw at me, it's not going to knock me down. Isn't that incredible? Because the first time he fled, he heard the news and he fled. But here, they stone him. But what happens? What happens? Because I think at the actual moment when the mob thought they'd won, they faced their biggest defeat. At the very moment they thought they'd wiped him out, Paul, even though he's supposed dead, rises up again. Because Paul no longer had anything to lose. He'd been dragged out of the city. They thought he was dead. Intimidation was broken. Like if you've been if you've been stoned, I don't think it can get you know. And we all know what I mean by stoned, stoned with bricks thrown at you, just in case anyone's going. Um, if that's happened, are you really going to be afraid again? Are you really going to be fearful again for your life? And I think Paul was like, do you know what? Even if this is the end, I know where I'm going anyway. Actually, because I'm going to be with Jesus. And doesn't he write about that? You know, to live, to die is gain and to, let, you know, to live is Christ or whichever way around that one goes. But it's kind of like, you know, I've really nothing to lose. I'm either with Jesus straight away or I'm with him a little bit longer, I'm a little bit further down the road. But there's, but there's no hold anymore. There is no hold and I believe that's what the, the Lord wants to break in all of us, that, that, that grip that fear can have on us. What if this, what if that, what if, whatever. Jesus takes care of us every day and he's going to, you know, watch over us, guide us, and ultimately we're going to be with him in glory. And I felt that, that God was saying that, like, if you feel that you've been facing fears, if you feel that you've been battling with fears, then just to... to Almost let go of that thing and know that he's your deliverer. He's fighting your battles. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated anymore. Just don't allow it to come in. Just think, Jesus, you are so much bigger. Because we can only be t intimidated if we allow the thing in front of us to become bigger than Jesus. 
And we've got to, that's why we've got to magnify the Lord, haven't we? Allow him to become greater in our, in our eyes. So Paul didn't put up a fight. He stayed faithful. He didn't get distracted. And God delivered him. And if we look at his response, so he's stoned. What happens next in Acts 14? It says, the disciples gathered around him. He got up. He, he got up. They thought he was dead. He got up. And what did he do when he got up? He went back into the city. You'd be thinking, are you crazy? Are you mad? What are you doing? They've just stoned you. But actually, if you thought you've just killed somebody and they just walk straight back, who's got the victory? Who's got the victory? You're showing them. You have no grip on me. You have no hold on me. You have no power over me. And then it says, the next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, all the places where they'd received opposition. And what did they do? They strengthened the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And it says, we, Paul said to them, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. Isn't that miraculous? We can read over these things so quickly, can't we? Like, we got back up, he was stoned and he got back up. But a miracle took place. Maybe, I mean, they said that he was supposed dead. Maybe he was dead and he was raised to life. Or if not, he was very close to death, but he was completely healed. And not only that, he was restored because he was able to get back up, walk again and go back and meet with all of those people and strengthen them. And how much power was it in his message then when he was telling them? Because they actually saw this guy had almost been stoned and now he's back. So he returns to where it's all happened and he finishes the work that he'd been gone. And I love, I mean, I've been thinking recently about this verse and I was sharing it. We had a meeting in the week for some of the ministry leaders and it's in Galatians 6, 9. And I just think it's something that we all need to keep at the forefront of our minds because we're going to come against opposition. We're going to have setbacks. We're going to have challenges, but we can't grow weary. We can't grow weary because we are going to reap a harvest because it says, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, in due season, we don't always know the season. We don't always know the time, but we will reap a harvest if we don't lose heart. And I was listening to a podcast this week and it was a guy who was saying, attach faith to your good works. Even things you've already done. All the things, seeds that you've sown in the past. Like I know lots of you guys will have sown seeds into people's lives and you might not have seen the fruit of it. But it's okay now to attach faith, to go back and say, Lord, I, I sowed that seed into that person's life and I'm believing I'm going to see a harvest. Too often we're looking at what we need to do next. But actually we've sown so many seeds. So many seeds have already been sown and her harvest will come. So let's encourage ourselves. Let's speak life over those things. Let's believe already for the impact this church has had. Let's believe already for the impact that you're having in your workplace, the impact that you've had in your family. Let's believe already. Let's attach faith to everything we've already done. Let's speak life. Let's call forth those things that are dead. Let's call those things that don't exist as though they do. And like with Paul, it's not about gritting your teeth. It's not about soldiering on because Paul was completely dependent upon God's life in him and God's power to deliver him. 
Remember the verse I told you in Ephesians 1:19, Because it's his incomparably great power for us who believe. What power have we got in us? It's the same power, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Nothing can stand against God's plans for your life. And the greatest obstacle is the lie that you're alone or that God has forgotten or given up on you. So don't believe the lie. And one of my favorite verses, I feel like I probably end all my talks with this. If somebody was to go through them all, they're probably like, here she goes again, Ephesians 2.10. But it's like we, we need to know who we are. The more we understand who we are, then the more we're going to walk in it. Because you're God's masterpiece. I love that. I love that translation. You're not a mistake. He didn't just spend a bit of time on you and spend more time on someone else. You're his masterpiece. And he created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are completely new. We're not who we were. Some of us are still seeing ourselves as that old person, that old man. That's not who we are. We're new in Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. There is so much that God has for us. There are so many ways that he can work through us and work in us. So much of his life that can flow through us. And he's planned it all. It's not a small life, like I said at the start. He's called us for greatness, for great things, to share his words with other people. And he doesn't want anything to hold us back. And he's promised us incredible things. And do you know what? Those things are going to bring us glory. Bring him glory, sorry. And bring us joy. Whenever we're we're aligning ourselves with the word of God and with his truth, we're going to experience his joy and he's going to be glorified. Because do you know what? God has invested so much in us. He gave us his son. His son laid down his life for us. He couldn't give us any more. And he wants us to believe this, to believe in who we are, shake off that fear, all that thinking that's limited, and for us to believe and trust in his power to work in and through us. Amen? Amen. Okay. I'm going to ask the worship guys to come up now. Thank you. All right. I'm just, and Andrew's just going to say something. All right. Stand on your feet and uh, we're going to worship together. Do you know, um, thank you, Penny. One, one of the things that uh, you probably need to understand this morning is there, there's a power in that word, which I think some of you have missed. Um, you know, for Penny to preach that word as I'm listening, going, she has lived that for every moment that she's ever been in ministry. Go again. Go again. Opposition, heartache, disappointment, trials. Uh, I haven't been physically stoned. Sometimes I would have preferred that, to be honest. Um, but you know, do you know what the encouragement of grace is? You know what grace says over you today? Go again. Do you hear me, church? Go again. Some of you have, and I know I do it. I know as I was sitting there, there was just one point in that sermon where I went, that's it. There's the heart of this. You know, I, I want you to think right now, the Lord is speaking to some of you about your family members. People in your family where you've gone, you know, I tried it. I, 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 I gave a bit of grace. I, I, you know, I tried my best. And now, now we just don't do that. There, there's almost like this sort of uh, trench, I got this picture, you know, like trenches in the war, where you would get into the trench and you're like, there's 50 yards between you, but you're in your trench and you're not coming out over the top again, because you come out over the top, guess what happens? You feel like you get mowed down. And the Lord says, go again. 
That's, that's when grace captures your life. You see, you will see the goodness of God's grace even more. All right? See what you long for, what you desire to see, the fullness of grace. It, it requires that you go again. You see, you can't believe in faith for the fullness of grace and live a, in a heart and a mind that's retreated into the trench. The Lord says, go again. That's what Paul did. That when, when grace so captured his heart, like he got a hiding. As we would say, he got a beating. He got a hiding physically and every other way. And he, he just goes again. And the, see, the victory, the breakthrough, the, the, the story, the testimony, the amens and the hallelujahs are on the other side of going again. And so see when the Lord was speaking to you today, because I know that he was, I could feel his Holy Spirit in this place. And he was bringing people to your mind. Was he church? Yes or no? Was he bringing situations to your mind? Help me out here. Yes or no? I need to build faith in you today. To, when the Lord comes and brings the now word, it's for this moment for you to go again. Do you get that? What he's trying to say to you is in that person that was in your mind and in your heart as the word was coming. It's for that situation where you backed off. The Lord says, right now, at this time, there's an anointing of my Holy Spirit and my grace for you to go again. Do you get that? So don't live into the fear. Don't live into the disappointment or the entente cordiale, the sort of arrangement of kind of, of peace, which says that I'm here, you're there, and never the two shall meet again. The Lord says this gospel of grace is for those who are far away, those who heart, and we don't make the decision on God's grace for that person. God says, go again and tell them the good news that I love them. Tell them the good news that I am for them. Tell them the good news that Jesus came so that they might have life and life again and go again. There is an anointing. In your families, can I tell you right now, there is an anointing in this time. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying it for you to go again, to speak up, not to retreat, to bring the good. But Andrew, you don't understand. No, I don't, but God knows and he's speaking into your life right now. Do you get that? He's speaking into your situation right now, the breakthrough that you long for, the desires that you want to see in your family. He's saying, now is the day of my salvation, not sometime in the future. Go again. Do you hear me, church? Go again. I honestly believe that's a word for you this morning. Stop living in retreat in your heads and in your hearts and praying for the fullness of grace. Right? You can't, fear doesn't, you can't cooperate with both. Do you get that? And the Lord's speaking into your heart this morning saying, break free of it. The intimidation, the discouragement. And God knows I probably have more than most of you put together. Honestly, but go again. Because grace is here to break every chain, to heal every disease. And, you know, we're not called to sit here week after week for a bless-me-up message. Thank God we are called for more than that. You will have all of heaven, all of eternity to sit and worship at the feet of Jesus where there's no more pain and suffering and none of it. But you know what? I'm going to look left and right and say, because I went again, they're here with me today. Because I went again, they were plucked from the gates of hell to an eternity with Jesus. But that's what grace came for. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God is more than your blessing. It is Jesus came for the world. Jesus came for those who were far away. Jesus came for those who are sick. Jesus came for those who don't know him, who are lost in darkness. You know what? I'll say that line again because it so struck my heart. They're all just searching for God. And he says, go again. 
And as you go, the Lord will meet every need that you have in such an abundant way that you will be surprised as grace and mercy overtake you and blessings chase you down. You will live in the fullness of God. You will live in the reign of God's blessing and favor in a way that you've never seen before when your heart is abandoned to the mission of grace. Do you hear me, church? Some of you need to break out and say, Lord, I am getting out of the trench and I'm going over the top again and I'm going full headlong, not into a hail of bullets, though they may come. I'm going full and headlong into my future because my future is, ho is hope. My future is fullness. My are, are any of you listening? Do any of you say amen? My hope is future. I don't know what yours is. It might just be stand with your hands in your pockets and get over it, Andrew, because we need to have coffee. But if you say yes and amen to this, there is an anointing in your life because my hope is future. It's healing. It's blessing. It's favor. It's fullness. It's day after day in the goodness and the favor of God. No matter what's coming my way, I'm going to be an overcomer, the head and not the tail. Why? because I'm not living in the trench of defeat and fear. I am up over the top and saying, yes, Lord. Give yourself a shake this morning and say, this is why grace came. This is the beauty of grace. This is the whisper of grace. This is the fullness of grace. Jesus, would you so put that in our heart today? Just like Paul, we, you, you gave us these words. Why? Like John 20, 31 says, this was the word of the Lord that came so that we might believe. And we believe this morning, Lord, that just in the same way that grace gripped the Apostle Paul, Lord, grip our hearts with the same love, the same sense of purpose and ministry and mission, Lord, that these days that we live in would not be wasted just on comfort or wasted on self, but we would give ourselves to the mission of seeing this world transformed by grace. Because that's why you put us on this earth for this time, for such a time as this. So Jesus... As a church, as the leader of this church, I'm saying this, we go again. Because one thing is for sure, that as we relentlessly pursue the goodness and the grace of God, there will be blessings, unbelievable blessing and fullness and everything that we desire in that place. It will never be found in self and fear. So Jesus, I say over this church, we go again to those places, those peoples, those situations where the enemy has quite frankly done a number, prowling about just like a lion. He's not a lion. He has got big gums with no teeth. That's what I thought about when Penny was, you can picture that, can't you? There's big gums are got there. And we've gone, look at the, you know, we, where, where the Lord just has gums, we've seen massive fangs. And the Lord says, no more. We go again. Amen, church? So see, whatever the situation is, whatever the person is, don't walk out of here and go, no, oh, just a great wee message, you know. Just say, Lord, but I believe I'm speaking. There is an anointing right now in this time for you to go over the top again. Go to that person. Go to that situation and give them grace. Amen. Shall we worship together? So it's such a, it's such a strong word, that one this morning. It's brilliant. Breaks fear, breaks intimidation, breaks the past. God, give us a spirit like, like, you know, we've got the spirit of Jesus. What I mean, spirit with a small s, okay? For you grace theologians before you pull me up on it. But give us a spirit like Paul. He was just so captivated by Jesus. And remember what I said last week, he met Jesus and he was changed. And he just kept going, kept going. Not because he had to, but because grace was so strong in him.
Amen. Go again. And I'm going to be so pleased to hear the results. We're going to look for testimonies out for this word, you know. I want to hear the testimonies of what happens in your life this week when you go again to that person, place, situation. Let's encourage each other with what God is doing because surely God is moving. Do you believe that? Surely God is moving in your family. Surely God is moving in your workplace. Surely God is moving in your health, in your money. Surely God is moving in all of these things. So we're not going to wimp out, tap out, or any of those things this week, Lord. We're going to say as we receive in that place, Lord, the strength of your Holy Spirit, the power that, that do not miss, the power of God in us. Jesus, we go. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. As we do that, we're going to lift our offering. Remember, be a generous giver. Don't retreat into fear. But we encourage you. We believe in tithing. We believe in bringing your offerings. We believe in having a generous and a heart that sows. Not tipping God like a teenager, but actually sowing into the mission of God's grace. So be generous. As you listen to the Lord, he will. He doesn't say give or not. He says, this is how much I want you to give. Okay, Because giving puts him in the center and puts our hearts in a, pl- a place of trust where we know that he is the one who supplies And he's already supplied for you, all right? So all you're doing is aligning with what he's trying to do in your life. So Lord, we give generously and fully this morning in Jesus' name.